grab your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 2. We're going to read chapter 6 first, and then we're going to go back and read uh, Acts 2. If you want to read along, uh, reading Acts 6, 1 to 7. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. They also chose Philip, um, Prochorus, Nicano, Timon, Paramaeus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God, uh, so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem incre- increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now flip back. To Acts chapter 2, 5 to 13. Okay? It says, Now there were uh, now, <clears throat> now there were staying in Jerusalem God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in be- bewilderment because each one of them heard speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men speaking? who are speaking Galileans. How is it that each one of them hears in their own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Jews and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Figria, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians, Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some of them, however, made fun. They've had too much wine. Let's talk for a first part about the second, the, that second passage that we read. Um, sorry, let's talk for a second about Israel about the chosen people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, who have, for the longest time, been a group set apart by God, chosen by Yahweh, anointed, set apart, and chosen by Yahweh. Not for a little bit, but for thousands of years. These are the anointed people of Yahweh, whose... Rituals and customs are designed to set them apart from the nations around them. Okay? Uh, Talk just for a second about circumcision. It's a big, bold move for a convert 
to Judaism to make a decision as an adult to get circumcised so that they might be set apart and follow Yahweh, okay? It's a significant deal for you to do an eighth-day circumcision on your child as a representative statement, as a symbol of a relationship with Yahweh, okay? And this is not just limited to, you know, uh, circumcision, but this has been the case for the Israelites for millennia, okay? And the whole purpose of all of this is to say that person is different. That, that Jewish individual is clearly a follower of Yahweh, okay? And so if you say conservative estimates that uh, Abraham was born about 1995 BC, okay? That's if you say he was born later, depending on your interpretation of Scripture, or earlier, 2166 BC, is that let's say about 100 years after that, um, his kids come on the scene and there's a relationship formed with Yahweh to say your people are going to be set apart from everyone else is that there has been a covenant relationship between God and his people ever since that moment right up until this moment in Acts. Now, why is that significant? Well, that is significant because if you are a Jewish person, then for 1,955 years, roughly, you have been told, taught, trained, and educated that you are set apart as a chosen person of God. Right? You are the, effectively the emissary of Yahweh. That there has been an anointing, a purpose placed on your life. And as you look back over 1,955 years, you can see all the different moments Yahweh has shown up and delivered you and protected you and provided for you and cared for you. And not only that, your entire year revolves around rituals that are designed to reinforce that, right? Passover, really significant. Why? All these moments in time are designed to say, you are special. But something profound happens on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is provided to all not just to those set apart and chosen by God. First for the Jew. Right? Paul addresses this. This is, you know, we're dealing with a couple of Peter, John stories here written by Luke. But Paul addresses this first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Okay? Historically, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> it was first for a Jew for about 1,955 years. And then we got a crack at it. But what happens on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit descends on the believers is there's a very clear indication that this is available to everyone. Galileans, there's Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, also those in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Figria and Pamphylia, um, Egypt and parts of near, Libya near Cyrene, or, or by the way, both, both Jews and Gentiles from Rome are all declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. You see that? 
The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit coming down was so that all these men and women were empowered with the ability to declare the wonders of God in their own tongues. Who now is Yahweh for? All. Thank you, Donald. For all. This is a profound shift. And you can understand why there are some challenges for a Jewish individual who for 1,955 years have been told they're special, right? This is now relearning a lot of what they have always thought they were, special, anointed, and set apart. By the way, they haven't stopped being special, anointed, and set apart. The door just got bigger for everyone else. (laughs) More people were invited to the party. And so we have this Holy Spirit descending in Acts 2, empowering all believers from all tongues to declare God's wonders in their own language. It's no longer a class system. There's no longer special circumcisions or rituals that are required. But now the priestly line is opened up to a priesthood of all believers. All believers empowered to proclaim the power of Jesus. And then the Acts chapter 6 is what we see is a direct result of those empowered believers going out and proclaiming the wonders of God. Crisis. (laughs) We go from 12, Acts 1, to 8,000, Acts 5. That's where we're at. 12 to 8,000. The infrastructure is not in place. They do not have a robust data management system to ensure that the new believers are signed up and instituted into a connect group with a follow-up phone call and a welcome basket. They didn't get there in time. There was this rapid explosion of faith, and one of the things they're trying to do is uh, care for these believers. You go from twelve to 8,000, You're a passionate believer, um, still in a, uh, it's like a Jewish context for charity, right? And so I I don't speak Hebrew well. I don't speak Greek well. I study both of them, but I don't do either well, okay? Um, Kupa is not even close to right, Anne. Uh, It was given out every Friday and consisted of enough money for 14 meals, Okay, so if you were in need, you could come along and you could get a handout of cash. It's essentially a, a dole payment that was enough to provide 14 meals for the week. Okay, you come to church, you can't, you can't provide for yourself, this payment was made. Okay, on top of that, there was uh, Tum Hawaii, who, which was a daily distribution of food and drink which was delivered directly to people who were in need. So you had both of these things coming on. Fridays, there's a dole payment. Every single day, there's a food distribution to those who are in need. And the challenge that we have is that when the followers of the way are small, it's manageable. (laughs) 
They can stay on top of it. But the big A apostles found themselves in a situation where the church exploded in a good way. And you now have 8,000 people. Not only within that, you've got a large number of poor priests who are trying to proclaim the word but also need the dole payment and the meals. And they're getting wrapped up in this and they're becoming aware that there's this tension that's forming between two groups. And so they have a meeting and they appoint these seven men to look after the situation. And what we see throughout the book is that Peter seems to do this in Galilee or wherever he goes, he appoints uh, seven leaders whose task is to provide the charitable acts that come out of a Jewish context uh, within that community. And in doing that, that gives them permission then to focus on delivering the word, right? The primary responsibility of the church, which is to proclaim the wonders of God, right? This is what the Holy Spirit comes, is to help us proclaim the wonders of God. But the reality of a church is that there are these charitable acts that need to be performed, and it was stifling the ability for the big A apostles to do this. There's two points I want to make on this. One is pretty obvious. Um, the Holy Spirit's provision is for everyone, everywhere, who calls on the name of Jesus. There is no second-class citizen in heaven. The provision, through the power of uh, the Holy Spirit, is that any believer, anywhere, at any time, is in a direct relationship with Yahweh. Right? It's, it's not scientific, it's scriptural. Uh, one of the things I find really remarkable is um, how we take this universal principle, we all have access to God through Jesus, right? But we then distill it to a cultural context. And what I mean by that is that... Um, I find images of Jesus really fascinating, okay? So this, this is a white Anglo-Saxon interpretation of Jesus um, that what probably comes out 17, 1800s. It's been heavily influenced by North America in like the 1980s. And so we get a Jesus that has an English-style nose, who's got pale skin, um, who looks like he could be quite at home um, walking around surrounded by a bunch of white guys, okay? This is not right or wrong, by the way. Don't take this as Duncan's making fun of our Jesus picture. I'm not. I'm making a point. If I was to go to South Korea, Jesus uh, is like a physical specimen. Look this up at home. Look up buff South Korean Jesus, okay? He's rippled. He's got abs, but he looks distinctly different from a Jesus that we interpret, right? I have a, uh, uh, a buddy who is a pastor uh, in Atlanta, and he leads a predominantly African-American church. 
guess what colour his Jesus is? Right? That as you walk around different cultures and different contexts, the image of Jesus changes regularly. Is it good or bad? No. The the advantage of this, Jesus, is that in white bread bell rows on the northern beaches where predominantly there is a large Caucasian community, you walk in here and you go, he seems like a relatable guy. (laughs) He looks like me. He's got the same coloured hair as me. He feels like a guy I can relate to. You walk into Korea where it's a different cultural context and you go, wow, he's strong and he's powerful and he, but he's so buff on the cross he looks like he could rip himself off it, right? But there's purpose behind that. You go, he's a strong, powerful leader that I would want to follow, okay? Um, and there's, there's a significance in that because that's what this Acts 2 passage kind of deals with in some ways is the accessibility of God is no longer via a priest through a curtain on a special day at a special time with a rope around his leg. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the doors, the curtains rip, the doors are open, and it's available to everyone, everywhere, at all times. It was incredibly powerful. Um. And it's one of the reasons I, I keep on wanting to remove the hurdles to encounter God, right? It's like, he's right here. You know? He's, he's right here in that moment where you kind of get down on your knees and you just pray before God. He's right here. And that when you feel like you don't have the words to say, He's right here. It's, it's one of the reasons that the printing press, was a Gutenberg printing press, comes by way of Christians essentially is because the goal is to get the word of God in the hands of every person. The goal of Luther when he translates uh, scripture into German, which creates an incredible scene. Un- unhurt. How dare you? Why would you do that? Because of Pentecost. Because the Holy Spirit became available to everyone everywhere and there's no need for someone to stand in the way to help you figure this out. There's power in that personal encounter with God. If I if I if I just started handing out the microphone, right, and said, "Can you tell?" Which we did like a couple of months back. But tell us your encounter with God. Like, tell us how you came to know Jesus. Each one of the stories is different, right? Every single one of the stories is incredibly powerful too. There's not one way apart from Jesus. There's not one encounter apart from Jesus. And that what we see 
is that there always seems to be something that rises up to distract us from the main game. The main game for the apostles has always been the proclamation of the wonders of God. It's not that they're saying that charity is not important. In fact, it's so important that they put together seven people to look after those charities. But their goal is not to be distracted from the proclamation of Jesus. It hasn't changed today. There's always little things bubble in the way of the proclamation of Jesus. And that's why you raise up great leaders to help take care of them. Not because they're not important, but because it is a priesthood of all believers. And all of us have different skills and abilities and talents. And it's an opportunity to leverage those. And so one of the challenges that you have is you have this profound need within a community and some of the members of that community who are brand new to it are going, we're getting missed out. We're not getting fed. We're not getting paid so we can survive. And the 12 respond by appointing the seven to empower those people. And it doesn't stop. It's growing pains for a church. How do you go from being a house church to a mega church to a multi-site church in three books, three chapters? <laughs> You're like, it's profoundly hard. And so that's what these guys are doing. And today, we are empowered by the same person, the Holy Spirit. You just read the uh, Acts 6 verse 4. Five. Can we have that up there? The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man of faith of the Holy Spirit, right? Can we flip to verse 8? Now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, did great wonders and the miraculous signs among his people. Opposition arose, however, and members of the synagogue of the freedmen rose up against him. Within the space of two chapters, Stephen becomes our first martyr for Christ. Chosen and set apart by the twelve, does miraculous and wondrous sign. There is constantly friction in a place where there is the declaration of the good news of Jesus. This happens all through Acts. The whole... The whole purpose of the meeting was to figure out how to feed the poor. That's essentially a cause issues and frictions amongst the Sanhedrin. And because they were doing miraculous signs, which most of the time involved like, you know, healing, restoration, restoring eyesight, restoring limbs, right? The Sanhedrin were furious and started killing off these men. Acts 2, what happens right at the end? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. 
We dance over all these powerful in, we dance over all these powerful moments, uh, and we spend all this time kind of unpacking them because they're profound. But there's these moments with an axe. Whereas immediately after the profound moment happens, someone walks in and goes, probably drunk. He's stirring up trouble. We should kill him. Where Christ is proclaimed and the miraculous happens, there is going to be resistance and trouble. Um, it's really easy. <laughs> it's really easy to make a safe church where there's no trouble. You just stop proclaiming Jesus. You stop doing the work of the Lord, right? Just maintain a facility, mow the lawns, make sure everything's neat. Is for the most part, be incident free. And if you can get as many people out of the church as possible, like get the numbers as small as possible, less tension, right? Then you can basically break up and give everyone their own room, right? But in a place where Christ is being proclaimed and the miraculous starts to happen, people will walk in and say they've had too much wine. Or they will stir up trouble or they will cause conflict. Why? Because they're trying to stop it from happening. And that's what we'll see as this goes on is that suddenly there's this explosion of creativity in the declaration of Jesus because now all nations and all men from all nations have the ability to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And as a result of that, the numbers have been added, but so is the hostility. As Christ explodes across um, the Mediterranean area and all the surrounding zones, so does hostility, so does tension, so does reaction, so does martyrdom. It's not unusual. It would make sense as our transition team comes ever so closer to leaving us out of this, leading us out of this season of transition and we appoint a new senior pastor and we champion a new era for Northgate, that it is not going to be smooth sailing. That old sailor's adage, a boat's safest in the harbour, but that's not where it's designed to be. It's designed to be on the ocean, which is not safe. Our safety is found in Yahweh, isn't it? Our safety is found in Jesus. Our safety is found in a relationship with God. So we have to be prepared that as we declare the good news of Jesus, that there will be resistance, that there will be resistance, there will be friction, there will be challenges, be difficulties. What's happening in Acts doesn't stop happening today. The good news is, is the same power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in his acts is at work today. Available to everyone, everywhere, at all times. And that's the good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to take a moment to pray for those who are sick right now. 
unable to go to church. Think specifically on um, David and Helen, uh, my wife. Lord, uh, restore them to full health. Lord, lift them up. For the other members that I have not named, Lord, be with them and restore them. You are Jehovah Rapha, great healer. And so we call on you to do that. Lord, we call on you to have your hand upon our church as you continue to grow us, lead us, challenge us. Lord, and where resistance, challenge and hostility rise up. Lord, allow us to meet that with grace, with humility, with love and compassion. Lord, knowing that you are in control, that you are mighty. And so we surrender ourselves before you. Forgive us of those times that we have fallen short of your glory. Create in us a clean heart, Lord. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Amen.